Thanks for pressing play. You've watched the Olympics. Have you ever turned on an Xbox or used a Whirlpool or maybe a KitchenAid product? You ever been to a New York Giants game or any kind of a major league uh, soccer game in the United States? If so, you've heard Sonic Branding and the work of our legendary guest, Audrey Aberney. You see, she's the recognized category queen of Sonic Branding. As a matter of fact, she presented the discipline way back in 1993 at the Design Management Institute in Amsterdam. And now Sonic Branding has exploded, particularly as digital products have. Um, Sonic Branding has become a giant category across all kinds of areas, marketing, branding, product design, and experience and experience design in the arts world and the filmed entertainment world. It always has been at theme parks and now cruise ships and even in healthcare and nonprofits and more. Uh, Sonic branding is everywhere now. And Audrey has won more awards than can be counted for this and several Emmy awards, including one for her work with NBC on the London Olympics. And she's earned a communicator award of distinction for her production and original music composition for Manning on Manning, NBC's Sunday Night Football. And on this episode, we dig into all of it, from why and how sound, vibration, and music are primordial triggers for the human brain, how sound can take you to a place, why the brain science behind it works, why ringtones on Sex and the City matter, <laughs> and why defeat music for a team needs to be different than defeat music for an individual competitor. This is a big, deep, wide unfettered conversation with a truly remarkable innovator and category designer. Pay special attention to Audrey's thinking on why sonic branding is a powerful force that is equal to visual branding and why every brand, product, and even public person needs their own sonic brand. This is Christopher Lockett, Follow Your Different. We are the Real Dialogue podcast or oddcast uh, for business people. Want to uh, invite you to join me for the first ever Cloud Wars Live Expo, June 28, 29, and 30, 2022, at the beautiful uh, in beautiful San Francisco at the Moscone Center. That's June 28 through 30, 2022, for the first Cloud Wars Live Expo. It's the most important thing to happen in the cloud since Bob Evans started ranking the Cloud Wars uh, top ten. The biggest cloud companies, the coolest cloud startups, 40 hours of legendary cloud education, and what you really need, more of me. <laughs> Visit cloudwarsexpo.com. That's cloudwarsexpo.com and uh, come join us. Now, as Joey Ramone said, hey ho, let's go. All right, so maybe I have a, uh, an unusual question to start off with. Before every podcast conversation, I listen to the same song, which is uh, Motorhead's cover of David Bowie's Heroes. So why do I do that? And why do people, for one reason or another, uh, like to sort of tune in to certain sounds and music as part of their rituals? Well, I believe what you're doing is the same thing as when 
we did the original Major League Soccer anthem, and we do our sonic branding. And the deputy commissioner in the interview said he heard from player after player after player that when they heard that song, it put them in the right frame of mind. It put them in a place that they wanted to be in, and it prepared them to get ready for the game, the match. And that's what you're doing. I have certain songs I play also when I need to get in a certain frame of mind. And that's what sonic branding is. You want to get to that emotional center of the brain that triggers placing you in a certain zone. And that's what sonic branding or sound in general will do. Thank you for that. It's, I don't know if this is the right word. Maybe you'll help me on how you, how you'd like me to think about it, but it, it's almost primordial. Like it's, it, it, it speaks music and sound speaks on a certain level um, that is very different than words or images. It, 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 it touches something that, you know, you said psychologically, of course, but it, it, it has a visceral touch that is unlike any other sense or un, unlike any other uh, experience that I can think of. And, and why do you think that is? Um, it's biomusicology. And we are wired for sound. We're a vibratory system. And sound and triggering emotions, sound is housed very deeply in the brain and it's in an emotional center. And forever, sound has triggered that primordial response. So whether it's things like why people sing in choirs, why uh, people would have chants, why people have anthems, in their countries, why they would have revelry. It's, it causes a physical response because that's the way we we're wired. We're a vibratory system and that's what it is. And from as early as time as you could remember, that's what sound did. It connected people, it communicated, and it made people feel feel physically, emotionally connected. Because of where it's housed in the brain and because of the way brain processes sound. And I'm not going to be morbid. This is the only morbid, but it's not morbid. It's beautiful. I'm, I'm going to take that word back. When you pass, sound is your last sense to go. So it's a powerful, powerful emotional connector. It's um, incredibly fascinating uh, for me to hear you say that, Audrey. Without going into all the details and specifics, a man I deeply love um, had a horrible accident not long ago and suffered a traumatic brain injury. 
<clears throat> and um, because of COVID and a whole bunch of other things, it was it was a it was a doubly horrible situation because we couldn't be with him in the hospital, uh, and his family and friends couldn't couldn't do that. So long story short, my wife and I decided, uh, with some help from a friend of ours who's a, a retired hospice nurse, uh, head nurse actually, that we would hospice him in our home. And, um, and it was an incredible thing to be able to do for the whole family and, and for all of us. And uh, you, you can see the guitars hanging behind me. I, I love music uh, and I love uh, rock music. And my Uncle John taught me what rock and roll uh, is. And uh, I was in bands as a kid. And, also, you know, I love music. Anyway, I, 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 make an, I make a reasonable noise today is how I would describe what happens when I play. And while he was here... Um, during that time we were, uh, he was in hospice with us. Um, I just, and I couldn't even have explained it to you at the time, uh, had this real need to, um, uh, play music for him. And so I'd pull my acoustic guitar out and I'd sing a song for him every once in a while. And, you know, we did a bunch of that. And, and I, I was just, for some reason, I was compelled to play guitar and, and, and sing music for him. Um, and so can you, could you maybe elaborate on what you just said? The brain's ability to recall, respond to, because it's housed so deeply and because it's in the part of the brain that where there's memory and emotion, that's what's happening. And I had a similar experience. and. I have somebody who's extremely close to me, uh, and I wish I would have recorded all this, but it was too close to me, so I couldn't. And they were on a, a vent, and they were in, and this person loved music and was very important to me. So I did foot reflexology, but I also made an iPod, uh, and I've got big studio headphones so that, you know, you couldn't do earbuds with somebody who's in critical ICU. Critical ICU is probably, it, it can't get, it, it's, if ICU is critical, critical ICU is beyond that. But they were big and cushiony and I made an iPod and I loaded it with their favorite artist and would put it on and I, it, I put it on before they went on the vent and they loved listening to music. That was only for a half a day and then they went on the vent. Well, I had their favorite artist and they came off the ventilator and I said, do you want to listen to some music? And this was somebody who was a musician and, and was a singer, and I wouldn't have my, well, I would have my love of music because it would have been inherited. But um, I said, would you, would you like to listen to some music? And she said, yes but please don't play any Josh Groban. I'm so sick of him. 
Now, that was her favorite artist. (laughs) But what happened was, for the way the iPod was set, for some reason, each person in the family that went in would start it, and it would start with Josh Groban. So with Josh Groban, like, she was always hearing it. So that shows you that even in a state where you're on a vent, she was hearing that. It's very, very powerful. It, it resonates. Um, there've been many studies and many, and I've done several where people remember things that they heard. They'll remember things that they heard more than things that they saw. They'll remember because they're they're not really present, and we don't think they are, but they would remember someone singing to them, or you know, I I just would give a word of caution to people to watch what you say in the room when you think that the person cannot hear you because I just gave you a prime example of that they can. You know, uh, Audrey, it's so incredible that you say that. So my friend who's now uh, a retired hospice head nurse, her name's Stephanie. And I was so struck by how Stephanie interacted um, with Michael because um, she spoke to him as though he was fully conscious and she would say, you know, um, I'm going to change your sheets now and, you know, won't take very long and we'll be super gentle. And, you know, she just talked to him, uh, not like she was talking to a a dog or a child or, or, or a, a person in distress. She just spoke to him like you and I would speak to each other. Um, and you know, in a particularly kind way, and, uh, you know, I asked her about it and she essentially said what you just said. And she said, we think we know that's true. And, you know, maybe there's a chance it's not, but so what? Um, because if it is, we're going to, I'm going to be right with that person. And so, uh, what we say is important and the music that we share with somebody who is incapacitated and potentially on the verge of losing their life, that does matter, doesn't it? It certainly does. And I have a great uncle who had uh, mesothelioma and he was in his 90s. His wife had long passed. He had no kids. So my sister and my brother-in-law and my brother and I were kind of like very close to him. You know, we brought his bed down from upstairs and he wanted to hear and he oh he had the most amazing stereo i i it like unbelievable he wanted to hear music and he knew he was dying we all knew he was dying within a matter of a very short time a week so he wanted to hear his records he wanted to hear dr Zhivago. and he wanted you know it was important to him and he smiled and he just closed his eyes and he was moving to the music. And I, the, the 
mission statement of my company is audio brain advocates for the use of music, sound, voice, and vibration to bring about health and well-being. And that could be a kid playing YouTube kids. Audrey, would you mind repeating that again? That was so incredible. Could you repeat that for me? I hope so. (laughs) Audio brain advocates for the use of music, sound, voice, and vibration to promote health and well-being. And that has always been since I was before I ever, when I was probably before I was 14, what was my passion point and still is and is the passion point of audio brain. And yes, do the Xbox 360. Yes, we do all these global brands. Yes, we've been music supervisors for 10 Olympics for NBC Olympics. That's 25 years. Yes, we've done great things like that, but we've also done a lot in healthcare. And I've done a lot of research in health and well being. And I've worked with kids that were deaf and blind and done music therapy with them when I was uh, late teens. And they were in- institutionalized. They were state wards, and I would put their, take their shoes off and put their feet on speakers and do music therapy. And then I would track, were they less abusive to themselves when they went back to the ward? Were they able to sit still long enough that I could teach them to feed themselves with a plate guard? Because um, when you're in that situation, Nobody really takes the time to make sure you're enjoying that meal and spends a lot of time. They have a lot of kids to take care of. So that's my North Star. That's my passion point. And Audio Brain has done a lot of a lot of pro bono work in that area. Audrey, is it inappropriate of me to tell you that I'm falling in love with you as you speak? <laughs> Of course, that's fine. <laughs> this is just my my passion. Yeah. And we do a lot of corporate work. Of course we do. You know, we we do all of Holland America Cruise Line, the onboard experience. We don't do the shows, but we do the sonic experience and the special events and the voice casting and the sound branding and the voice branding. And we've done surgical robotics and we've done a lot of things like that. But in my heart, I can't compare it to say uh, what we did for cycle for survival, which raises money for orphan cancers, the cancers that are very rare and don't get funding. And we did pro bono for them. So that's what, you know, if, if you don't love and have passion for what you do, and if there isn't something that makes me feel physiologically and biologically fulfilled and 
and emotionally better and connected, then why do it? Yes. So well put. Uh, Can I tell you another quick story in this regard? Of course. So I have a niece who's now in her mid-30s, and she's uh, significantly uh, disabled. She's never spoken. She lives in a wheelchair. Um, and, um, uh, you know, that's, that's her, her life is limited compared to yours and mine. And she's a wonderful, happy little girl. That's how she, that's how she sort of feels. Right. And she can't speak. And, um, and obviously she can communicate and there's something she can't communicate as well and so forth and so on. When we first met, she's an adopted niece from a brother from another mother. When we first met, I would try to connect with her, come over and say hello and so forth and so on. And with very limited success, a little bit, but not much. And then one day I went over to my brother from another mother, uh, his house with his wonderful wife. And, um, and I had my guitar with me. I had an acoustic guitar with me. And his wife said to me, you don't happen to know any kids' songs because it turns out she really responds to Sesame Street and and um, what's the purple dinosaur Bar- Barney, Barney and you know Wiggles and these kinds of things really uh, speak to her. So there's something about music that really kind of lights her up. And then I was thinking to myself, kids' song, kids' song, kids' song. And then I remembered. When I was a teenager, I was in a punk band, and we did a punk version of Sesame Street. So I pulled the guitar out. It was a really fun cover song to play, by the way, in sort of a punk style. But So I pulled the guitar out, and it was, to your point on where music lives in the brain, I would not have played that, those chords in that way for probably 30 years at the time. And... Um, uh, I picked up the guitar and very quickly remembered Sesame Street. And then once I kind of put it together, I started singing it uh, for her. And she started making this uh, chirping, happy noise. She perked up immediately and she started to reach out for me. And so I began to get closer and closer to her. And I eventually ended up sort of, I was standing up, I ended up bending over and she put her hands on the guitar and on my face. She almost poked out one of my eyes as I sang and played for her. And I made a point of continuing, even though she had her hands on my strings and her, her finger almost in my eye. And, and that was the experience. And then ever since then, uh, my relationship with her, with or without a guitar, um, has been incredible. And so... It seems like what you're sharing is that when we bring music into some of the most challenging situations with people who have, um, you know, very, very uh, challenging circumstance, it's incredible how, how much it can make a difference. Absolutely. There's no question. I don't think it. I know it. I've done enough research. I've spoken to enough people that have been through it. Um, I have these twins who got in a car accident and one got crushed in the car. One got thrown out of the car and they said that she would never respond, but 
when she was in one sister was in the in coma, the other sister would sing to her. And it kind of brought her back. I could tell you hundreds of stories and hundreds, I don't know if it's hundreds that I have of research studies. Um, I suggest people check out a, a website that I, I just love what they do. And it's called The Monday Life. And it, The Monday Life uh, does music therapy for children uh, in the hospital. And The Monday Life will talk about how they take less medications. The Monday Life will talk about a whole bunch of different things. And they're fantastic. Check out Nordorf Robbins. Okay, these are kids with autism. They're down at NYU. And nobody could reach them till they went into this music therapy program. And I have the footage of the mother going into the session, and the therapist is playing Swanee River, and the child is also playing Swanee, uh, Swanee River uh, in almost like a harmonic way, like when two people play together. Yes. And the mother was like, where did that come from? Everything I ever worked for, that moment made everything all worthwhile. So hmm. that's why... It's surprising to me, and I've, I've been doing sonic branding for 25 years. I know it's the newest, latest, greatest trend. I've been doing it for 25 years. I've had audio brain for 18, and I've known this for an extremely long time. We have methodology. We do research. We do strategy. We do um, testing. We we make sure the sound is exactly right for that. I also teach sonic branding. I know, and I'm, I have questions for you about all of that. Um, can um, I ask you a specific question, Audrey? Sure. Um, can you tell me what you did for HBO? Well, we did for HBO, we did a couple different things for HBO. Uh, one, there was a, uh, a show called... Uh, Carnival, and um, Wendy and Lisa did the main score, but we did the underscore. And then we did um, Sex and the City became really popular, and they just had one theme. So we worked with them to do the branding for ringtones that would be appropriate for Sex in the City. So, of course, we did not do a country version. We did not do, you know, certain things that would not be appropriate for that brand. So we worked with them on that so that they can have a whole series of ringtones that were in line with that brand. And there's other things that I kind of can't remember right now. A few other things. <laughs> That's okay. But how fascinating, 
how fascinating for me is, you know, a consumer of Sex in the City. Uh, I, I was around when it was uh, when it was doing its thing back in the day. To know that the creators of art like that can be so detail oriented as to hire the category queen of sonic branding to come up with what ringtones would be appropriate for the characters in that show. That's an extraordinary level of detail and thinking around the importance of sound. Well, HBO, you know, when we present to different people, they'll always say, well, who do you think does things really great, whether you did them or not? Uh, because there are people that are doing sonic branding that I wouldn't call sonic branding, but and HBO is always on my list because when it was easy for people to get, say, cut the line item or my neighbor's kid has garage band or will just license, you know, stock music, HBO would use orchestras, live orchestras, and they paid tremendous attention to the sound. So they are on my list of like hero brands because of the way over the years from when they started, the way that they respected sound. It's so fascinating you say that because of course the whoosh noise with their logo is, I mean, you tell me an incredibly iconic um, sound. And of course, one of our favorite series uh, uh, ever was The Sopranos. And who could ever forget the beginning? And interestingly enough, as you were talking, I was thinking about that song that they opened The Sopranos with. And it's almost as if the HBO, you'll tell me the appropriate language, sound and the beginning of, you know, the first uh, 20 seconds of that music for The Sopranos or Sex in the City or fill in your sort of huge hit show were actually fused together. That is to say, if you were to hear The Sopranos song without the HBO brand, it would sound like it started in the wrong place. <laughs> I think they did a good job on what their core, you know, remember they were the first. So it was like, I think they did a fantastic job on what their, their mission is from when they started out. And then when they remember when they had the, the flying, uh, they were all about transporting you to a different place. And all of those shows and my show, Arliss, and I could tell you other shows that, that just were fantastic, all very well suited the place they were taking you to. And that's a, a very big strategy. People don't always have to notice what that strategy is, but it's a strategy. And I think that they've done an amazing job at that. I think that I, I start my classes 
with a with the name that sound, and I have a board like a game show because sometimes I have students that are like, oh, it's like sometimes the class is uh, you know seven o'clock at night, and so I start like a game show, and I'm like, name this sound, okay, and. Go through 12 different sounds and I say, just shout out what the sound is, where it's from. And the split second, you hear that static and that sound, every one of them say HBO. And, um, it's, it's pretty fascinating. I, I think I heard that they're updating their sounds and I'm going to be doing some research into that because I, I, I've been really, um, I, I just saw a blurb somewhere and I, I want to just see what's going on there. You know, is there but a what chance they they're did, changing their sonic brand? I, I don't know. I don't that, know. That would sound I'll like let a you know. I'll let you know in a couple of weeks. That would be uh, to me. That would be a gigantic mistake. Yes. Um, because it's so unbelievably iconic and so recognizable. And what's interesting is when you would get a DVD or on demand things like that. It's all connected. It's all connected to that sound with a variation to show that it's a different touch point. Yes. And if, if you, if I could nudge you a little kindly to be, um, uh, a modest of the many sonic brand, uh, brands that you've created, uh, and co-created with your, your team and your, your clients, um, what are some of your favorite, you know, your, what are your greatest hits for you and the work that you've done, or at least some of them? I would say one in particular would be the Xbox 360 because it's so iconic. It comes up on people's lists as being iconic. It was really interesting when Gary Vaynerchuk was talking about sonic branding. And he said, I don't know about you guys, but I remember when I would hear sounds like this, or uh, I don't remember exactly what he said. And he played the Xbox 360 boot up. And I remember when we did it, it was so fantastic because we were brought in before the form was even chosen. The whole room was full of potentials. So we had a seat at the table from the get-go. And I loved that because we're not a company that you're going to say, here, score this commercial. It's not the way we roll at all. And so that one is probably, if I talk to people, the most recognizable that people would, would know. For me personally, I have sounds that really kind of, I could listen to over and over and over again. I would say 
the work we did with the New York Giants and all of their sonic branding because it captured exactly everybody says to me, a football team is a football team, is a football team. Rah, 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 rah. No. What makes the Giants different than the Patriots? What makes the Patriots different than the Cowboys? They're brands. They're diff- they really are different brands. And the way that that piece turned out, I never forget that we were going in with our last group after doing the sonic branding. And I put in the glove compartment of the car what they were going to pick. Because I knew, I just knew that it it captured what made them special. And I got to talk to different players. And, you know, I, I actually gotten to speak to Eli Manning, you know, and I, I, I don't get starstruck, but I was like at a private party. It was it had nothing to do with anything, but I was like, I just want you to know, you know, uh, I love that piece of music. I, I love that piece of music. I love the, when we did um, major league soccer and, Major League Soccer wasn't even a dot on the map. I remember taking the train home and, and the Amtrak from the first year that they they debuted it uh, in RFK Stadium, and the stadium was freezing and empty. And I got home, and they was they were actually going through all the sports, and they were saying high school scores, but no one talked about the MLS championship. And by the next year. In L.A., in the Galaxy Stadium, people were actually singing and chanting and knowing that anthem. And we did that with a live orchestra, and that is incredibly meaningful to me, as are all the Olympics. Being a fan of Olympic sports my entire life, pretty much, it's hard to imagine sports and particularly, of course, the Olympics, without the music and how it contributes to uh, an experience. And it's interesting, if you watch sports with the mute button on, it's a completely different experience. And so maybe walk me through, I, I assume it's NBC that hires you to do that. Is that right, Audrey? Yes, they do. And so when NBC calls and says, We'd like you to do the sonic branding for the Olympics uh, for 10 of them in a row. <laughs> then what happens? What, what do you and your team go to work and, and do? We're there to be a resource along with NBC's in-house. They have full-time people that work at the network. And we make recommendations. And we hear what the story is and we're there to help 24-7. And to make sure that we find enough emotional resonance and quality. And they are the best organization to work with for me. And, you know, it's been a long, long time. And uh, 
It's a, a huge part of my life, but that's what we do. We make recommendations. We want to make sure that, you know, you think it's about rock, pop, jazz, hip hop. It's about winning. It's about defeat. It's about determination. It's about inspiration. And the way that you find that stuff out is to talk to the people that are doing it with a compass. You know, we never, unless we're scoring something original, we are the compass to help people find what they need. And, you know, you learn from people that defeat for a solo athlete sounds different than defeat for a team. It's very solitary. And pretty much we make sure everybody's has a resource to help them through their musical experience 24-7. And we give them options and they choose what they feel suits what they're working with. Now, maybe let's shift to the business or the corporate side. Uh, imagine, uh, Audrey, I was a CEO or a chief marketing officer, and you and I were speaking, and we were developing some new product. Maybe it was a software product. Um, maybe it was a new vehicle. There are a lot of new EVs coming to the market, some kind of a new device, any kind of product that for some reason, at the beginning of the use of that product as part of the kind of boot up experience, um, we were thinking about maybe having a special Sonic brand there. Walk me through the conversation that we would likely have and then the kinds of things that you would do to help create this um, Sonic brand. Okay. Well, that's very easy because I did the first, the first thing on a new project before I made it to this. This morning, we have a very strict methodology that follows a visual identity. You wouldn't have different fonts. You wouldn't have different a mission statement, brand, style guide. You'd, you'd have consistency. And that same consistency that you do for a brand identity, a visual identity, that's what we do for sound. So... You know, when I started, there were maybe six companies, I'd say, that were doing sonic branding. And we would do research. We would gather everything we could from the client. We would live and breathe the brand. We'd call their call centers. We'd interview different people. We would, if we were doing a bank, we would talk to the customers was their perception the same as the brand's perception? We would do a discovery and research and present our findings. We would work with the brand to find out what's their core attributes. Because if you're a bank and you're saying secure, well, you know what? That's like table stakes. If you're not secure, <laughs> like how does that make you different than anyone else? But we then, you know, find what the commonalities are and what makes this brand stand out from any other brand. That's what we want to find. And every brand has it, even though they may think they're corporate and even though they may think that they're, you know, not 
you know, they don't have this within them to do this kind of initiative. They do every, I can brand sonically brand anything if with enough information and with enough conversation, with enough research, we look at the competitors and I'd love to change that word because some of them are not, some of them are more mindshare competitors. They're not even in the same industry, but they have the demographic and they have the evangelism that our brand wants. So we'll look at them, which we didn't do years ago. 20 years ago, we did within their core group. Now it's, it's a lot different. It's more about the experience. It's more about what the customer wants. They want to participate. They want to interact with the brand. So therefore, what the touch point is uh, could be anything. It, we, we do look very closely within their own, within their own competitors but we also look at other things. And from there, we present what the brand stands for, what, what we decipher a sonic filter, a, a brand filter, brand characteristics that we're hearing over and over and over and over again. We agree upon that, and then we start doing a, a sonic mood board. How do you articulate that? Because if something is dependable, I'm dependable, I'm always on time and I hope get the job done, make sure everything is right. Um, make sure it's tested, make sure it's legal, make sure lots of things. And I have a composer who's dependable, who I was with a couple hours ago. And when he's working, sometimes I have to go in there because I don't think anyone's in there. That's how quiet he is and how seamless he does his work. His dependable would sound different than mine. So we create, you know, we try to zero in on what what the right filter for this particular brand is. And we we have a bunch of tools that we've developed and methodologies and tools we've trademarked. And it's fun for them. They don't have to be musical. They just have to say, no, no, that sounds too old for us. No, that's... That type of music is that that's too fast for us. No, oh, oh, you know what? I really love the way that guitar is going up. That's all we need to gather to make that that blueprint, that audio DNA, that that custom sound for our composers to get started. And when you take those elements, usually it winds up they have two hundred words. It winds up being three to five categories, we start to craft and our composers write where you're hearing depend. What, how are they representing this with what instrument, with what tempo? It's not arbitrary. It's validated. And then from there we progress. We, we set our strategy. Uh, they give us feedback. We start to write concepts and then it progresses from there. And then we do testing uh, and we create our sonic branding foundation, which is our main, our main theme. And not a theme like a, a jingle, but the 
if you think of a box of Crayola crayons, these are the colors. Where this is what this brand is going to sound like. It's got lots of different elements in it. And then from there, we roll it out to whatever touch points they want. It may be a sonic logo. It may be a brand theme. It may be a room warming soundtrack. It may be video bookends. It may be, um, I, you know, IVR. It may be voice branding. It, 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 it may be events. There's hundreds of places sound is heard. And there's going to be even more. Uh, if it's a product sonification, what are the technical specs? What do we need to stay within so that the sound sounds good in the device? Uh, how many times is the sound going to be heard? Is it going to be heard once? Is it going to be heard a thousand times in a day? You know, because then they're going to get this big ear fatigue. Um how long or short, how much space do we have in the product? Uh, what frequencies do we need to stay within? Uh, we get a prototype. We test the sound within it um, to make sure that, you know, because lots of different devices have their own compressions. And so we can do a sound. And once we put it in, like when we did the Whirlpool appliances, um, we did Whirlpool and KitchenAid, and it was really unbelievably successful. And then uh, we spoke at CES, and then the, the Atlantic called, and then the Times UK called, and then Wall Street Journal did a piece. And um, But when things go into devices, they will often change a little bit of their character, as you you know as a musician then we have to start optimizing them and tweaking them. And we give them in a variety of formats because what's going to go into a theater isn't going to be the same file format that's going to go into the product. Or into a TV commercial or an internet ad. Exactly, or exactly. Yeah. Um, and on the, on the Whirlpool KitchenAid example, uh, I just want to make sure I'm thoroughly understanding what you're saying because it sounds fascinating to me. So when you go to create those sonic brands and, and the sonic logo, that's sort of the boot up sound. Is that what the sonic logo is? Sometimes. Well, what, let me ask you the question. What's a sonic logo, Audrey? Intel inside is a sonic logo. Okay. It could also be a startup sound. Many times, like for Whirlpool, their logo is their startup sound. The Xbox, their startup sound is their logo. Yes. Okay. That, that's what I was trying to say, but terribly <laughs> doing a terrible job. <laughs> no, no, no. So, so when you go to do a whirlpool, uh, just to come back to the example, you create those sounds in some kind of a studio environment. Would that be a, a safe assumption? Um, yes. And you're playing with different sounds and you're getting ideas and collecting ideas and then going back and reviewing them and changing them. And you're doing those sorts of things. Yes. Well, that's after we do our research. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I so understand. For, at this stage for, in the process. Yeah. For Whirlpool, it's all about comfort and, you know, Whirlpool is, is very, you know, different. It's the caregiver and KitchenAid is the maker. Being somebody that's hands-on making things, those things are going to sound different. But 
yes, we do a lot of research. We talk to a lot of different people. They're a fan, they're they're another one that's a fantastic team to work with, uh, because we had access to anything and anyone we wanted um, who could help us with information. And do uh, CEOs get involved in these discussions with you often? Sometimes, sure. I mean, yeah. I would think if I was the CEO of a company that was engaging you and s- sort of th- thinking about this so strategically and willing to invest in a way that, you know, maybe not all companies do, I would sure want to sit down with the category queen of Sonic branding for a few moments and <laughs> see what, see how she could help educate me and help us. <laughs> well, we we actually like when they're involved because... I've had a couple bad experiences. They weren't bad. No, they were bad. Where a CEO would empower their team and our process is so iterative and we'd be like near the end of the line and they'd suddenly jump in to listen and they're like, well, what is this? You know, what, like what, you know, we like, the decision maker to be in at any of the key presentations. Yes. Now, if we could just uh, maybe go to a slightly different spot, and if I'm misremembering this, please tell me, but uh, you're a woman-owned business, and are you an all-woman business as well? Yes. Okay, so maybe tell me a little bit about that, please. I'm a woman-owned business, 100%. (laughs) Um. I wasn't always a woman-owned business, 100%. I was uh, a majority woman-owned business. Um, I had a friend, a composer, and I had worked closely with. And I had always said to people, if I ever start a company, there's only one, one person I'd start a company with. And that's Michael. And so... I wound up, Michael and I wound up starting Audio Brain together. Uh, not, we didn't start Audio Brain together. I started my company and he had his company and we shared a space, which lasted about a month. And then we put it together and we became Audio Brain. And then uh, in 2008, he went up to um, Berkeley College of Music uh, and started the uh, game and interactive or or was heavily involved in that, but still uh, works on my projects, but the ones that are highly interactive. Uh, He doesn't really... Um, work on things, let's say, like like the Giants. He would work on the infrastructure of of a cruise line. You oh. know what I mean? Yeah, because that, I mean, from my layman's uh, sort of viewpoint, that, that, that sounds like it would be radically uh, different and different skills required and so forth. Yes? He's phenomenally technical. Phenomenally. And that's his interest. So we've stayed tight for a long time. Well, that's great to hear. And and how many how many ladies in the business? Two. And uh, and why do you like sort of promoting the all woman business? <laughs> I I think that the reason I like it is that people don't expect it for this industry. 
I think it's a male-dominated industry. When I started out, I was the only female in the company. I've had times where I've had, you know, four or five females in my company. But it just depends on who's on staff at that particular time. Actually, three right now. Sorry. But you got to remember, we're not a large company. So we're not talking about three out of 50. No, no, no. I, I understand that. I understand uh, exactly who you are. And I, well, I, I could guess why you're that size. But before we go there, maybe I do have a question I'm really hoping to ask you, which is, does every brand need a Sonic brand? Yes. Yes, they do. Because people are hearing your brand anyway. And okay, so let's talk about the three reasons why. Number one, we are in a voice-first, sound-first world. We have moved into sound being very centric to brands. We use voice to command our products at home. We use voice to command our, our televisions. We use voice to command our devices, our lights, our it, uh, our automobiles, our auto experiences. And if you're not differentiating with sound or if you're not engaging with sound and you have a podcast, let's say, and you don't have your own open and then people play the podcast it has far less impact than if you take a little time and do the initiative and it makes a tremendous impact. I have somebody we did a podcast for and she has an open, she has transitions when she goes to the sponsors, she has a close, she has a walk-on theme when she speaks at FinTech conferences and she has a room warming soundtrack as people are coming into her speaking engagements. And she told me two different things. One, she told me um, they were playing her music when she wasn't in the room yet. And somebody went up and said, oh, is Emily Bindis speaking today? And they knew that that was her sound. And then she told me one time they didn't put her music on. And she felt really strange because she's so accustomed to, that's her sound. You know what I mean? That's who she is. And uh, I think people are using sound anyway. There are so many places where you need to use sound. If you use voice and that voice is not right for your brand, if you use sound and that sound is not right for your brand, the audience can hear you a mile away because of all the devices that we have. And if they're inconsistent and if they don't have something that makes it stand out and is authentic to the brand, they'll move on. They'll, they'll go on to something that is engaging them, is involving them. And sound is a great way to do that. It's so interesting to uh, hear you talk about this. Our producer, his name is Jason DeFilippo. And in my opinion, he's the goat of podcast production. 
he worked in the early days with Tim Ferriss, uh, Jordan Harbinger, and a whole bunch of other uh, incredibly well-known podcasters. And, uh, and he has a great podcast of his own. Anyway, when he first started working with me, Audrey, and he was telling me what setup he wanted me to have, which equipment, you know, all of those sorts of things. And then he created, and I'm going to F up the terminology because I don't know these details, but essentially <laughs> he created a specialized custom, what I would think of as filter for my voice so that I sound like me. And he did a lot of work on all this stuff. And he now says when he looks at the digital image of the podcast, he can tell where I'm doing what by the way the lines look. Anyway, long story longer, what he said to me after he did this work on sort of getting the sound exactly right was he said, now that we've got it dialed in, it's my job to make sure you always sound like you. Exactly. I'd never had anybody uh, sort of communicate so clearly like you just did the power of paying very close attention to even somebody's voice who you'd figure, well, you have your voice. It's roughly the same all the time. You know, why would you have to go to such technological care to make sure someone's voice sounds like them and it's consistent, but there you have it. Exactly. And that's voice branding. And that's an area that is gigantic because people don't pay attention to the voices. People are coming up with better technology for synthetic voices. I'd say four years ago, there were only a couple companies that sounded remotely very human. And now there's so much better and so much less expensive. But the filter we use for voices is the same as we use for sound. So whatever the characteristics are for the brand, that's the characteristics for the voice. Because I, many years ago, uh, there was a Super Bowl commercial, and it was a really hot product. And I was working on the brand at the time. And I, we do our what we call our audit. We'll call their call centers. We'll look at their advertising. We'll look at their videos. You know, we'll look at their corporate communications. We'll look at them in being interviewed on TV, stuff, whatever. So I called their call center and I got a voice that was said, hello, how can I help you? And it sounded <laughs> like, like a 75-year-old chain smoker. Now that was the polar opposite of what I had just seen on Super Bowl. Now, that was not on brand, and that would never fly now because people, they'll move on. You've got a generation that's been raised on connecting and belonging, and because of the digital world we live in, they want to participate. They want to, I have kids in my family, they want to touch a book. They want to hold a book. You know what I mean? They, they want the physical connection. They want vinyl. They want uh, things that are authentic. And you're going to use these sounds anyway. Why not take the extra step to figure out 
what makes me, me. And when I teach, that's the first exercise I give the students. And when you do that, it becomes so much more cost effective because you have a blueprint and then you can say, oh, you know that piece that you did for the UK? Can we do it for Dubai, but can you switch out the guitar for an oud? You know, boom, easy. You're not starting from scratch. Fascinating. So we go, if we go back to every brand needs one, you said there were three components. The first one was we're moving to a voice and sound first world, I think is what you said, if I'm remembering. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so- in that world, technology is so advanced that we don't have blips and bleeps and piezo sounds and buzzers and we have we can we can do really high quality sounds in, in appliances in a whirlpool washing machine. They're not buzzers. They're they're crafted. The second one is is that the consumer, the customer is in the driver's seat. There's no more, I'll put an ad out and they'll come. You kind of have to win their trust. You have to engage them. And third is that they want to belong and they want an emotional connection. So those to me are the three things that are the reasons each one of those where a sonic brand can help. You need to differentiate. They could, they could hear anybody. And they could bring something down in a day, too, if they don't like something a brand is doing or saying. Yes, we've seen that uh, at uh, what it appears to be an increasing rate. <laughs> Well, Audrey, you are amazing. You really are. And <laughs> um, uh, around here, we would call you a category designer because it is very clear that you are, if not the, certainly one of the people who created the category of uh, this kind of sonic branding and all, all of the subcomponents that you've shared with me today. And so you really have uh, broken and taken new ground and not only distinguished yourself and your colleagues, but actually truly created, or as we like to say, designed a new category of marketing and branding. And so I wonder, given that you are the category queen, or certainly one of them, (laughs) um, as you think about how you and your other colleagues who sort of are, you would consider pioneers who do quality work in this area as well. How did, as you reflect back, how did you build the category of sonic branding to be, as you said, one of the hottest things in branding and and marketing and, and really entertainment in the arts? I would say that for each of us, it's always been what we believed. That sound was important and it wasn't getting the recognition and the methodology that it should. And we each had to develop our own methodology because it didn't exist. 
and figure this out? Like, how do we do this? You know, sound mood board. Um, people would walk in and ad agents, ad agencies would, were not really receptive to us at that time at all because they wanted to say, give me this and that's it. Why? Well, who am I writing about? You know, we all had a certain mentality, a certain love for sound and a certain understanding of its psychoacoustics and biomusicology and its value to health, well-being, better brand experience, differentiation, equal to the other senses, as powerful as a visual identity. You see millions spent on visuals and then nothing spent on sound. So we just built, there was no school. I mean, just evolved because we had a belief that this was important. And so we wound up with clients that believed in that too, like Microsoft, like Apple, you know, and we're not the ones who made it explode. Technology made it explode. All of a sudden, everybody realized they had all of these fantastic new devices and and technologies and everything else. Well, where's the sound? And so then that started to rise and it became this hot new thing. Not a hot new thing. The technology has pushed it to be this hot thing that's been around forever. That's what I have to say. Well, I'm just going to say what's on my mind. That was fucking legendary. (laughs) Thank you. Really? uh, Because what is clear there is not only the genius of what you're sharing, it's the context in which you share it. That is to say, you just taught me multiple things at the same time. A, why sonic branding matters and why you have dedicated your professional life to it and why you were willing to pioneer it as a new discipline when people tried to shit on you and or the idea itself and you persevered and ta-da, your thinking uh, sort of collides with a technology product explosion and a whole new possibility emerges. I think that's what you just said. Did I, is that roughly correct? You got it. Yeah. So not only did you share that, but you also just put on a master sensei clinic of what a category designer who is somebody who wants to create a different future, that is to say, move from an old way of thinking to a whole new way of thinking and as such, unlock a a whole new domain of value. That's what a category designer, entrepreneur, uh, visionary artist, somebody who uh, brings something new you you just put on a master class on how one does that if you want to evangelize a whole new future. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Is there anything else, Audrey? No. There's, well, there's, there's a there, no. And yes, there's a million other things. But I think we covered a lot. I, I, I hope this was, a, you know, insightful to your listeners. 
if anybody wants to reach out on Twitter, it's audiobrain underscore NY. Uh, email, it's info at audiobrain.com. If you have any other questions, that's fine. That's more to teach. My students stay in touch, and my students now have been doing teaching so long that my students now hire me. <laughs> they've <laughs> risen up. They've risen up in their branding companies, and they say, I'm just, I want to work with you. I've always <laughs> wanted to work with you since you came to me, and I heard you speak. So it's how it's legendary just, it's is just that? A good time. Oh, that's that's that was a trip. That was a trip. Well, and uh, what a fun uh, place to be in one's career, where you get to be the uh, uh, if 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 you'll allow me a Star Wars analogy, the Obi Wan Kenobi of a uh, uh, discipline that you helped create. Thank you. Thank it you has for been, having me. Oh my God. It has been such an absolute joy, Audrey. Really, you're such a unique mind, an extraordinary talent. And uh, I think you're fucking awesome. Thank you. I think you're awesome too. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, there she is, the legendary Audrey Arbini. You can find her at audiobrain.com. That's audiobrain.com. Dot com. And um, if you appreciate this podcast, why not show your appreciation by sharing these dialogues with your friends? And we always super appreciate your shares on social media. Also want to remind you to join me June 28, 29 and 30, uh, 2022 at the Moscone Center in San Francisco for the most important thing to happen to the cloud maybe ever. <laughs> That's cloudwarsexpo.com. Cloudwarsexpo.com. All right. We would like to thank you. Thank you so much for the gift of your time. We deeply appreciate it. All of us involved with uh, creating this podcast for you. Also want to say hi to uh, Ricardo Z. Thank you for helping to make this incredible uh, conversation with Audrey happen. The good folks at onelifefullylive.org help you dream, plan, and live your best life. Check out the number one lifefullylived.org my friends at atrenet a-t-r-e dot n-e-t have been building legendary b2b websites in silicon valley for over 20 years check out atre.net today and my friends at hallow app are the world's first real life network we all know social media is where you share your fake life hallow app is where you have your real friends no algorithms in real privacy check out h-a-l-l-o-a-p-p Com. All right, I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And this podcast is the sole property of the Lodcast. The Lodcast? <laughs> yeah, the Lodcast Network. And it, came, it contains content known to the state of California to cause, ra- to cause radically different thinking. All rights do remain perturbed. We are produced and edited by the greatest of all time, Jason DeFilippo. Check out his podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. Sarah Knox and Jamie J do legendary technical execution, and they build Lockhead.com. Show notes by GM Simon. Uh, the Bobus Brothers, RJ and EX, do our web development. And the handsome and talented Cedric Biros does our graphic and web design. Our law firm is Weed and Jack. Our accounts are three balance sheets to the win. And we record these oddcasts on squadcast.fm. Check out Squadcast if you want to do legendary oddcasts in the cloud. Remember to spread podcasts, not viruses. Prius and Tesla drivers, please, for the love of God, get out of the left-hand lane. 
Tom Waits was right. Listen to Joan Jett. Love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Scott Omelonic, uh, editor of Inc. Magazine. Sorry, Scott. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much. Please stay safe, stay legendary, and until we're together again, follow your different. <laughs>